Welcome to the Great Detectives of Old Time Radio. From Boise, Idaho, this is your host, Adam Graham. If you have a comment, email it to me, box13 at greatdetectives.net. Follow us on Twitter at Radio Detectives and become one of our friends on Facebook, facebook.com slash radiodetectives. Today's program is brought to you in part by the financial support of our listeners. And I want to thank John for supporting us by mail at Adam Graham, P.O. Box 15913-15913, Boise, Idaho, 83715. And I also want to thank Ruth uh, and Dud, I hope I'm pronouncing that name correctly, uh, for supporting uh, the show on a one-time basis uh, through support.greatdetectives.net. And you can also become one of our ongoing Patreon supporters for as little as $2 per month by just going to patreon.greatdetectives.net. Well, now it's time for this week's episode of The Silent Men. The original air date, December the 2nd, 1951, and the title is Death and Taxes. Now, hear The Silent Men on NBC. The Silent Men, starring Douglas Fairbanks, Jr. The National Broadcasting Company proudly presents The Silent Men, transcribed stories of the undercover operations of the special agents of every branch of our federal government and their relentless fight against crime. And now here is Douglas Fairbanks. A nation is like a family in which each member carries his share of the work burden and pays his share of the cost. But in this society of men, there are those whose work is hidden and questionable, men who refuse to pay their way, who profit without accounting. However, these criminals cannot long escape the attention of the silent men, the special agents of the federal government who protect the well-being of many against the crimes of the few. Tonight, with your permission, I will play the role of one of those silent men, Special Agent Henry Renard, in the file case entitled, Death and Taxes. My home base was the Chicago office. The game I was getting into was going to be played on another field. I got a call to report to Bureau Division Headquarters in Washington, D.C. That meant a special assignment. How was the flight from Chicago, Hank? Oh, sleepy. You want to go to a hotel and rest before we go into this? Maybe a long one. I'm ready now. The sooner I start, the sooner I finish. Good. Better come into my private office. And no calls until I'm finished with Mr. Renard. Take the chair beside the desk, Hank. All right. I want you to look these over carefully. (sighs) Income tax returns, 1947 through 1950, for Otto Dushek. Dushek? The racketeer? Oh, no. Dushek, the businessman. Who says? He does. Huh. He's been mixed up in everything from punch boards to manslaughter. Every branch of the government has been on his tail. Yeah, but none of us have been able to prove anything. Hmm. Think we can get him on evasion? I hope so. He's a smart cookie, though. Remember that. I will. Huh. 
Come to think of it, I haven't heard much about Dushek in the last few years. And he quit all the more obvious rackets. He's got a new line. What's that? Well, that's the $64 question. Declared an income of $58,400 for 1950. Almost the same for other years, too. Deductions look normal. Source of income seems okay. Suppose he really has gone legitimate? He reports 50000 He lives like he was earning a million. Check his bank accounts? Normal. Safety deposit boxes? I haven't been able to find any. Could be in somebody else's name. Yeah, girl, possibly. Yeah. But what he's got doesn't prove anything for us. We're interested in money he may be getting and forgetting to declare. <laughs> in other words, it's, it's up to me to find out if Dushek is withholding his withholding. <laughs> That's it, boy. <laughs> Living in Philadelphia, huh? Want me to go there? Near there. Uh, not liable to run into anybody you know, are you? No, no. What about cover credentials? I've got them here in the file. You'll have a lot to memorize. Uh, let's see. Well, I see I have a criminal record. Do you, San Q, armed robbery. And you're theoretically wanted for parole violation. Dushek's no dope. You'd probably have old classmates in San Q, and if I get close to him, he may check. He will check. A record on you has been planted in the file out there. Good. Now, how do we plant me on Dushek? By planting something else. You still raising roses for a hobby? Sure, why? That gives you something in common with Dushek. He has the same hobby. Oh. Oh, now I see why I was brought into this. Ha. Huh. Well, what's the pitch? Flora shop. In Philadelphia? No, in Camden, New Jersey. Dushek will come to you. How does he find me? Radar? He drives to Camden every day to go to the racetrack. Always stops in the same place to eat. The flora shop you're going to take over is right next door to his favorite restaurant. And we suck him in with a rose, eh? You tell us what to stock for you, Hank. We'll get any kind of bush you want from any place in the world. I'll give you a list. I think we need one more touch, though. I'd like to open a little sideline. Oh, like what? Bookmaking. If Dushek becomes interested in me, it won't hurt if he finds I'm making a dishonest buck on the side. Yeah, good idea. But remember, if the florist or the book shows a profit... <laughs> I'll declare it on my returns. <laughs> <laughs> if you don't, I'll send you to Alcatraz. <laughs> the bait was set, and the local police were quietly notified of the fake bookmaking setup. Arrangements were made for some of our men to phone Betsy in every day, and each day the display of roses in the window was changed. On the third week, I got the customer I'd been waiting for. You and your roses. What'd I tell you a minute ago? I told you to keep your mouth shut, didn't I? Uh, something I can do for you, sir? Uh, yeah, yeah. What are them things in the window there? Oh, um, oh, the sweet peas. No, not them crummy things. The roses, them, them. Oh, those are Irish fire flames. Huh? I never saw them before. Well, they're a single hybrid tea rose. Uh, tea rose, coffee rose. Can't you stop here on the way back? We'll miss the Daily Double. You don't shut up a Daily Double, you'll miss will be two of your teeth. You want to shoot your mouth off, get outside and wait in the car with Mike. I ain't going. Get out in the car. All right, Otto, all right. And while you're sitting there, give your jaws a rest. Dumb broad. Can't think of nothing but horses. I send her flowers. All she wants to know is how much they cost. Would you like to look at the fire flames? Oh, yeah, yeah. If you're interested in fragrance, the hybrid teas are always excellent. Huh? Yeah, yeah, I know they are. That's why I like them much better than them uh, polyanthus. Polyanthus ain't got much smell, you know. Well, I see you know something about roses. Yeah, yeah, I raise them. I, uh... uh excuse me a minute. Yeah, sure, sure. 
Renault's flower shop. Huh? Um, could you, uh, could you call back a little later? I've, I've got a, uh... Oh. All right, I'll take it. Two across. Okay. Now, I don't have to repeat it. I've... I told you I've got it. Right. I'm uh, sorry, Mr. Uh, Dushek, Otto Dushek. Mr. Dushek. How long you been in this place? I bought it about five weeks ago. <laughs> I thought you was new. You're a pretty smart guy. I beg your pardon? You beg my pardon. Come on, how's the action? What's your take, huh? I don't know what you're talking about. You want to see these flowers, or, or don't you? <laughs> what a front. Most of the boys use candy stores or they hole up in some cellar with a telephone. You give a business a little class. You talk good English, too. Look, I don't know what's on your mind. Oh, yes, you do. You're booking horses here. I know a phone bet when I hear one. Is this a pinch? <laughs> I look like a cop. No, you don't look like a cop. You look like a mug who might think he's going to shake me down for protection. <laughs> this is peanuts to me. I play a game that really pays off. Then why don't you go play it and stay out of mine? Because I think maybe we can do business together. What kind of business? Well, uh... Banal roses. Until we got to know each other. He came back every day after that. But for the next month, he acted like a customer. I had to get closer to him and the roses were the key. I sold him a bush that was showing the first traces of black rust... When he transplanted it, I knew the disease would spread to the rest of his roses. It did. Ten days after he bought the contaminated bush, I was called to his penthouse, a luxurious place, overlooking the city of brotherly love. Look at him, look at him, look at him. They're dying. Some kind of bugs got on him or something. Yeah, that's not insect damage. Well, what is it then? Pragmidium mocronatum. Oh, now, never mind the big words. Tell me so I know, huh? Black rust. Well, what am I going to do about it? Let him die? I can fix them. I can come back tomorrow. Ah, oh, tonight. I've got to get a lot Mike of... Mike can get whatever you need. You fix them tonight. Hey, Mike. Hey, Mike! Mike ain't here, Otto. Oh, where is he? Well... Where is he? You're losing your mind or something. You know where you sent him. Oh. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. All right, then. Uh, get your coat on. You're going out. Uh, tell her what to get, huh? Yeah, I'll, I'll write it down for you. Sulfur and... Fernet. Mixed in this quantity here. And, um, a hand sprayer. He should worry about me like he worries about these things. Shut up and go. Uh... All right, Dushek, if you want to save your flowers, let's get busy. Hey, what are you pulling them leaves off for? All the diseased leaves have to come off before we spray. It's going to take a couple of hours, so come on. Oh. You know something, Renan? No. What? You're all right. Yeah, you're an all right guy. It's almost 2 a.m. Yeah, this is the last bush. You want a drink? Yeah. <coughs> might, might help wash the sulfur fumes out of our throat. Yeah. <clears throat> well, that does it. Okay, let's go in. Hey, Betty. Betty, Betty, come on, come on, wake up, will you? Uh, huh? 
Mix us a couple of drinks. Come on. All right. You got my shoes on. Mike's back. Oh, where is he? In the library. Big brain like you. Gotta have a library. Bring a drink, Sen. Bring one for Mike, too. Hi. Oh, you know Renard, Mike. Only by seeing him through a flower shop window. Hi. Hi. Betty's mixing some drinks. When'd you get back? An hour ago. How'd it go? <laughs> Renard's all right. It was smooth. No trouble, huh? Not a rumble. Good. That's the way I like it. Mix your own drinks. I ain't no bartender. You ain't nothing. Put it down and get out of here. Uh, scotch okay for you? Fine for me. Good. Fix your own, Mike. Thanks. You know, Renard, I could uh, use a guy like you around here. I don't like working for other people. You like working for me. No, thanks. Look, don't brush me off, punk. I mean... Uh, you ain't never gonna get no place with a flower shop and a two-buck book. You want to raise roses? Raise them here, huh? For how much? More money than you ever saw before. How much? You could cut almost a hundred G's a year. Do I look like a sucker? What do you mean by that? You setting me up to take some kind of rap for you? Why pick me? You don't know me. You don't know anything about me. <laughs> Tell him, Mike. You did two years in queue for armed robbery. And you're still on parole. You're hot for leaving the state of California without permission. Hmm. You're smarter than I thought, Douche. And you're dumber than I thought. What? Now, don't get hot. You got a lot to learn. You get picked up on a crummy bookmaking rap, and you'll wind up back in queue to do the rest of your bit with a few years tagged on for the parole chop. So, suppose I get caught working for you. Is that going to be any better? Much better. We don't leave witnesses like you did on your stick-up. My boys don't go to jail. All right. I'm listening. How far are you willing to go? For 100000 a year? You write the ticket. The tickets we sell are one way. All the way. We're in the safest business of all. The murder business. You call that safe? In four years, I never even had a man picked up on suspicion. Police can't set up a murder rap without a motive. Well, you must get paid for the job. Sure, 50%. 50% of what? Insurance money. And it's usually double, uh, double, uh... Double indemnity. Yeah, yeah. Because they all look like accidents. Are you kidding? Insurance companies would check on you the second time you filed a fat death claim. We don't file the claims. We don't insure nobody. Draw him a blueprint, Mike. Well, lots of guys get married. Then they get sorry about it. Sometimes businessmen don't like their partners. Sometimes a guy insures his mother in And sometimes they get impatient for people that I so we help them. For 50% of the insurance money, our minimum is 10 G's each job. I see. Go ahead. <laughs> it's kind of late. You must be tired. Why don't you stay here tonight? I'll uh, fill you in on the business later on. When? After you finish your first assignment. I slept, but I didn't sleep well. In the morning, Dushek had Mike drive me out to the flower shop in Camden. I told him I had to sell the place, make it look legitimate. As soon as I could shake him, I made a call to the chief of my division. He flew in from Washington, and we met in the lounge of a small theater. I briefed him on the Dushek operation. I don't see the mystery. 
Now, wait till I get inside. They're murdering, huh? As cold-blooded as they come. Yeah, Dushek is headed for worse than Alcatraz, then. This isn't the case for us, Hank. You'd better pull out right now. I can't. I'm in there close to him. It's the only way to get him. Yeah, what's your plan? Well, you'll have to help me. Plenty. Take a check on his number one boy, Mike. Oh, we know all about him. Mike Donnelly, strong arm boy. Find out where he was last night. Well, it's impossible to trace now. I think he left and returned by plane. Well, what makes you think so? They wouldn't do their killing around home base in Philadelphia. Mike drove Dushek to the track yesterday and came back with him. But between six o'clock last night and one this morning, he killed somebody. Then if he went any distance, it must have been by air. Chances are it wasn't any more than an hour's flight. But he got in at 1 a.m. That means he came in on a flight that landed about midnight. Well, we can check airline reservations. Police must have photos of him from his arrests. Get a shot. Run down all airline stewardesses who worked on flights coming into Philadelphia around midnight last night. If one of them remembers Mike, we'll know where he was. Yeah, I get it, Hank. When we find the city, we ask for a list of last night's fatal accidents. The victim will be somebody insured for at least $25,000. And the beneficiary will be able to supply an airtight alibi. Sure, sure. They'd work it that way. Hey. You beginning to get the idea? Like a flash from a lighthouse. The money. That's it. The beneficiary will get a check from the insurance company. But Dushek won't accept his payment in any form except cash. The yeah, beneficiary will have to cash the check, either at a bank of his own or the bank used by the paying insurance company. That's right. If the banks work with us, the money can be marked. It'll have to be passed some way, but if we can prove it winds up in Dushek's hands, <laughs> we've got him. Well, if I can run everything down, I'll arrange for the marking, all right? Good. I'd better get back to Dushek, so I'll leave first. You, you'd better stay here for about ten minutes. Now, be careful, Hank. I'm going to alert all police forces on this, as well as other federal divisions. Don't slip up any place, or they'll kill you. That isn't what I'm worried about. I'm worrying about the night Dushek sends me out to kill somebody else. <laughs> went back to Dushek, and for five days I took care of the roses. Then, one day, Betty left for the track with him, but she didn't come back with him. She turned up late that night, carrying an unusually large purse. Dushek and Mike went into the library with her, and Mike came out stuffing a roll of bills into his pocket. What's the matter, Renard? The roses getting you down? I don't seem to be making any money. You will. Maybe tonight. Otto wants to see you when he comes out. I thought this was a big operation. It is. Look, you were away on one trip last week. Get wise, boy. This is only headquarters. Otto's got men all over the country. Branch officers. He likes you. You stick close and you'll get a cut on all of them. The big cut you get from what you do yourself, though. I'm ready. Good. Because I think Otto's ready, too. If you don't do something to grab. I uh, got a little assignment for you tonight, Hank. Yeah, so Mike was telling me. Where am I going? Wheeling, West Virginia. Oh, you catch a train in about an hour. You get in there at 6 a.m. Then what? Yeah. Tear this paper up after you memorize the phone number. Okay. Call that number, then you go to the street corner. It says there. Stand on the corner, lean against the bus sign, and read a newspaper. At 7.30, somebody will stop the car right in front of you and get out and walk away. You take the car. Will it be a stolen car? Of course it'll be a stolen car. It'll belong to somebody working early shift at the mines. By the time it's missed, you'll be back here. Uh... Get the dame's picture, Mike. It's in the table drawer right beside you. Oh, yeah. Well, here's your pigeon. How do I meet her? I run a husband on a restaurant. She leaves the house every morning at 8. You got the address there. 
A car will be out of commission. It'll be right on the street in front of the house. You offer her a lift. Suppose she says no. Use a gun to coax her. If I'm going to shoot her, I might as well do it right there. Shooting don't look like no accident. When you get in a car, knock her out, and then find a nice spot between the house and town. Dump her out and run her over. Get away fast and ditch your car. You understand? Yeah, I understand. How do I get back here? There's a plane out of Wheeling at 10.30. There's a reservation on it for a Mr. Wilson. That's you. You'll be back here for lunch. And no petty cash. Don't touch nothing in the dame's purse. It's got to look like an accident. I'll handle it. Okay, sure. Now read it back to me, the whole thing. I went over the plan for him and I left. But Mike drove me to the station. He pretended to leave me at the train, but I saw him swing on three cars behind. I was being tagged. Was Dushek having me followed as a precaution, or had I made a mistake? I felt sick. Is this seat taken? No, no. Mind if I sit down then? Not at all, no. I have a couple of magazines. Do you care to read one? No, thank you. I'm Miss Frelling, departmental secretary. How did... Don't you... talk, let me. The man who dropped you at the station followed you. He's on the train. I know, but who sent you? Divisional chief. He's had men watching you, but he didn't want a man to make the contact. You have any message? Yes, but it'll be too much to remember. That's another reason for me. I'll take it in shorthand on the margin of this magazine. Just let me know if anybody comes through the aisles. Watch the back platform. How are you going to relay the information? I get off when the train stops at Allentown. Two special agents will be waiting there. Good. You ready? Go ahead. I gave her the story as quickly as I could. Then I watched through the window as she got off at Allentown. She was not followed. I still had time to play my hand out with Mike, though. I got off the train at Wheeling, picked up the stolen car, and drove to the designated house. I circled the block until a woman came out and made a vain attempt to start the car at the curb. She got out and raised the motor hood as I turned the corner. I stopped. May I give you a lift? I guess my battery's dead. Which way are you going? You name it. Downtown? Climb in. Thanks. I don't want you to be frightened, but for your own information, you just did a very foolish thing. Don't worry about it. I'm not the woman you were supposed to pick up. I'm a policewoman. What? Your message was relayed from Allentown. We've got Mrs. Belka in protective custody. She was the intended victim. I'm the same size and color as she is, so they sent me to take her place. Well, thank heaven for that. Did you have any instructions for me? You're probably still being followed. Not probably. I am. There's a car about a block and a half behind us matching our speed. You have to lose him. I know. Well, I know the town. I'll tell you when and where to turn. When you get clear, drop me off and go back to Philadelphia as though you'd carried out Dushek's assignment. What's the idea of that? Well, Mr. Belker is away on a vacation. He'd probably arrange this. We need time to pick him up. You see, he'll be told his wife is dead, then he'll be accused of conspiracy and a murder. If it's properly handled, we may get a confession from him. Meanwhile, your other federal boys want Dushek to think his business is as usual. My chief will... Turn right here, quick. Take the cutoff into the hills up ahead. Other cars still coming. We'll lose him by the old mine roads. What were you going to say before? I was going to ask you if my chief told you to pass on any information about a man named Mike Donnelly. That's probably Donnelly back in the car that's tailing us. Yeah, 
I've got a complete line on where he went last week. It was Baltimore. Man killed in a hit-and-run accident by a stolen car. Heavily insured? By his business partner. $50,000 double indemnity. I thought so. Now we've got to lose that car behind us. The roads are starting to wind now. Take the turn-offs as I call them to you. Left here. Now, short right. Quick! We lost him in the maze of mine roads and cut back toward the town. I dropped the policewoman off and ditched the car, then went to the airport and picked up the reservation Dushek had arranged. When I got back to the penthouse in Philadelphia, nobody was there. I waited an hour, two hours. Then Dushek came home. Hello, Renard. Hello. Your job all done? Yeah. That's nice to know. When do I get paid? If everything went okay in about a week. If it didn't go okay, maybe sooner. What do you mean? I just picked Mike up at the airport. He was out of town, too. His plane got in a little later than yours. What are you driving at? You'll see. Come on in here, Mike. Renard says everything went okay in Wheeling, Mike. Yeah? That's nice. It was a simple I'll problem. I'll talk. You'll listen. I sent Mike to follow you to make sure you didn't make no mistakes. You got wise to that, Renard. You knew I was behind you and you shook me. Why'd you do that, Renard? What was it you didn't want Mike to see? You followed me? You know I did. I know now. I didn't know in Wheeling. All I knew was that I had a car tagging me. Were you crazy? What do you mean? How did I know it was him? It might have been a police car. Sure, I lost him as soon as I was tagged. You think I want to be caught with that woman in the car? You didn't know it was me? How could I know? You recognize the driver of a car a block and a half behind you through a rear vision mirror? I ought to knock your teeth out, Mike. Whoa. All right, stop it. Bother you. How could you let him do a thing like that, Dushek? You say you play everything safe. It makes me think I'm being followed and I have to speed through a town in a stolen car. Is that safe? All right, all right. We had to make sure. Should you take care of the woman? I did my job. When I work for somebody, I do what I'm told. You mind if I check on it? What do you mean? Long distance, I want to put a call through to Wheeling, West Virginia. No, no, no special party. I just want to talk to the county morgue. I could feel myself tightening up as Dushek was connected with the morgue and started to give a description of Mrs. Belker. It was a checkup I'd never thought of. My only hope was that the police would have it covered. Yeah? Yeah. No, 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 I won't have to. Thank you. Thank you very much. What'd they say? Guess, Mike. I don't want to play games. I told you Renard was all right. Tagging him was your idea and a dumb one, like he said. He could have been picked up for speeding in that stolen heap. We'd all be in for it. All right. So now we know. They found the body? Yeah. You were a little careless, so. How? She was still alive when they found her. She, she talked? No. Unconscious all the way. She was dead on arrival when I got her to the hospital. She was just... Yeah, it must be Betty. Dumb broad, always forgetting the key. Let her in, Mike. Okay. When do I get to draw a little money? You want a couple of grand now? I'd like it. Then I got it. You can't I always... We got a warrant, chum. Holy man. Police, I'll right. shove that door in your pocket. Hello, Arno. Well, my favorite detective, Mr. Walsh. What brings you here? I'm going to arrest you, Dushek. Yeah? What for? Murder. A couple of them, in fact. 
One in Baltimore last week and one that didn't quite come off in Wheeling today. What are you talking about? You'll be extradited, Dushek. Belka's wife is alive, but Belka confessed about the deal you made. Renard. Don't be so surprised, Dushek. Your mouth drops open and you look very stupid. I'm a special agent of the United States government. So, Mrs. Belka isn't dead, then, huh? So where's your murder charge, Walsh? You're forgetting Baltimore. Man wanted to get rid of his partner. Remember? I want to call my lawyer. I got constitutional rights. That's the wonderful part about this country, Dushek. Everybody has. <laughs> Even you. This is Douglas Fairbanks again. Otto Dushek learned the certainty of death and taxes when his murder ring was smashed, thanks to the efforts of the silent men, the special agents of all branches of our federal government who daily risk their lives to protect the lives of all of us. Next week, we will tell you the story of international banditry in the South China Seas in the file case entitled Piracy, 20th Century Brand, another venture undertaken for our protection by the silent men. The Silent Men is produced and directed by Warren Lewis. Tonight's case was written by Joel Murcott and transcribed in Hollywood. Only the names and places were fictional. Douglas Fairbanks may currently be seen in the motion picture, Mr. Drake's Duck. Now, here again is Mr. Fairbanks. Ladies and gentlemen, in the last two years, two million out of the ten million civilian refugees in Korea have died of exposure or action of war. Please send any usable spare clothing and or blankets to American Relief for Korea, A-R-K, to Massbeth, Long Island, New York, or to St. Louis, Missouri, or Oakland, California. Please, and thank you. <laughs> Listen again next week and every week to other exciting cases involving the law enforcement adventures of the special agents of our federal government. For they are the silent men. Now, it's Tin Pan Valley on NBC. Welcome back. Some really uh, fascinating points in this episode. First, we get to see a lot of effort that the government goes into in order to make this bust and to figure out what's going on with this guy's taxes. Even to matching him to an agent with similar interest in uh, roses. Which isn't something I would have th thought of the government using, but it does make sense. Because you can, you know, have an expert try to teach someone like... Uh, if uh, you think of the 1960s Dragnet episode, The Fur Job, where Bill Gannon learned essentially on the fly how to act and talk like a fur expert. 
And while you can do that and get away with it, particularly on like a short-term sort of undercover job, if you're going to do something that'll hold up over time, you're better off to have somebody who works in law enforcement and already knows what they're doing, so they're not going to show a lot of mistakes. So I thought that was really a clever and interesting approach. It also does show that there's a big challenge with the undercover operative, and that he essentially has to have uh, the ability to build relationships that the person on the other end, uh, the criminal, feels are real and get the criminal to like them and want them in their operation uh, while all the time intending to bring them down. That can be a tough balance personally for a lot of people, and so not everyone can do that work. But you have to be thankful there are people who can, you know, win something like this whole uh, murder for hire ring he just kind of you know stumbles into and in this episode we get to see you know coordination uh, by law enforcement at its absolute uh, best at the federal uh, level in this story uh, which i think you know given the overall tone you know makes sense uh, I was actually a little bit dubious about having a policewoman in Wheeling, uh, West Virginia, because I thought, you know, uh, there were policewomen, I know, in New York and Los Angeles, but Wheeling uh, is not a very big town. It's, it's kind of, uh, it's close to the West Virginia-Ohio border. And I, I was dubious that they, that they would have had a policewoman, but they did. Actually, back in, uh, 1923, there was a record of Wheeling, uh, employing a policewoman. And, uh, I think for, uh, particularly just to, for people's, uh, imagination, I thought, you know, I would tell anyone who was aware of Wheeling that, you know, Wheeling was a lot smaller city back then, but actually it turns out uh, it's the opposite. You know, we'll, you know, have towns like in Florida or California or somewhere out west where they have just grown magnificently. And you've got to put into perspective, you know, this was, uh, you know, a much smaller place back in the 1950s. In the case of Wheeling, Wheeling uh, actually peaked in terms of its population in the 30s and 40s with about 60,000 people in there. Uh, as of the last census, there's less than 30,000 people living in Wheeling. So it was a bigger place, although it's not the first place you would think of for somewhere where uh, murder for hire would be going on. Of course, whether Wheeling had 60,000 or 30,000 people in it, our hero was right that the whole scheme of tailing him was just not a good idea. There was so much that could go wrong there. Plus, even in a medium-sized town like Wheeling was back then, you have too many strangers wandering about town. You're taking a bit of a rest. So overall, an interesting episode. I, you know, never would have guessed we would have ended up on murder for hire, you know, when it started out with the tax evasion uh, investigation. 
much like this better. We had an episode of Video Theater recently of uh, Treasury Men in Action, where an undercover uh, federal agent was asked to do a hit job, and he just stalled the guy off. Of course, the guy, from the way the episode was written, just kind of used doing hit jobs as just kind of a sideline. It wasn't his main business, and so it was a little bit more patient. Actually, make that a lot more patient than the uh, villain that we had uh, this week. All right, well, I do want to go ahead and thank our Patreon supporter of the day. Thank you to Ken, Patreon supporter since January of 2020, currently supporting us at the Seamus level of $4 or more per month. Again, thank you so much for your support, Ken. And that will do it for today. If you enjoy this podcast, please rate it wherever you download your podcast from, and we also welcome your reviews. Join us tomorrow on Public Domain Video Theater at videotheater.greatdetectives.net as we bring you an episode of Man with a Camera. And then we'll be back here on Monday with uh, Casey Crime Photographer, and then next Saturday, another episode of The Silent Men. In the meantime, send your comments to box13 at greatdetectives.net. Follow us on Twitter at Radio Detectives and become one of our friends on Facebook. Facebook.com slash Radio Detectives. From Boise, Idaho, this is your host, Adam Graham, signing off. <laughs>